just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hope all is going well with you. Things looking up weather-wise in Minnesota. You go through a Minnesota weather, sub-zero temperatures, lots of snow and ice. It's a pain in the ass, and I hate it every year. Even though I was born and raised in Minnesota, I've never become happy with the winter months. Everybody says, well, don't you ski? Don't you snowmobile? Don't you ice fish? No, I don't do any of that shit. And you know why? Because when you go outside, it's fucking cold. I don't want to be cold. (laughs) But today, actually yesterday, it was up to 55 degrees. And that's downright tropical in this part of the country. Now, the important thing you have to remember, in March, it does get warmer. You don't see the sub-zero temperatures like you often do. But it's a well-known fact that March can be the snowiest month in Minnesota. So there's all kinds of prospects for heavy snows between now and the end of the month, or even now in the middle of April. We've seen that as well. So we'll keep our fingers crossed, don't see too much snow. But I'm kind of in a contradiction here. Last year, you know I live on a lake, you know I have a boat and all that stuff. It's nothing fancy, it's no oligarch's boat. It's a small pontoon boat, but last year we had a problem with very low wall le- uh, water levels, so we do need some of that snow. We need some of that runoff to bring the level back up, because it's hard to navigate when the level's real low. There are logs and rocks and things out there, and if you're not careful, <laughs> you'll have to repair your prop every year, which I've done for the last couple of years, so... You got to be careful out there. And so some snow isn't a bad thing. It'll bring up the water levels. It'll green everything up much faster. So I guess if we get some snow, it's not too bad. But that minus 10, minus 20 degree weather, I don't need to ever fucking see that again. Now, of course, uh, just in time for this warm weather here in Minnesota, My wife and I are going to take a short trip, and we're going to Arizona where the temperature's in the mid-80s. So we're going to get a uh, head start on summer, as it were. We're going to go to Phoenix, Arizona for about three days. We're going Thursday night, coming back Sunday. So we're not going to be gone too long. And uh, that'll kind of mess up on how I do the podcast, because I usually sit there the day of. I do the podcast, and I put it out. So theoretically, because I'll be with some friends, and I won't be in a situation where I'll be able to record a podcast, theoretically, there could be a couple of days without podcast. Now, I'm going to try to fix that. Um, Later today and uh, late tonight, I'm going to try to do two extra podcasts. Now, the problem with those podcasts, they won't be timely. There's a lot of time sensitivity when I do the podcast because I'm dealing with what's going on now. If I do a podcast that's going to run a day or two later, uh, I'm not going to know what's going on. So I might have to take a different tact with those podcasts. They may be a little different than what you're used to hearing uh, now. So if you turn on the podcast, say Saturday or Sunday or whatever it is, and it's different than what you're hearing, just bear with me a little bit. Give it a listen and understand that when I get back, We'll get back to the normal type of podcast. I won't tell you what we're going to do because I'm not even really sure myself, but it may be a little different. Anyhow, I'm always asking for emails and voicemails. You can email me at rationalboomer, rationalboomer at gmail.com or check anchor.fm, find the Rational Boomer podcast and leave me a voicemail. And... As is uh, commonly happening right now, I'm getting emails almost every day. I've got three here, actually four, two short ones and two a little bit longer ones. So this shouldn't take a lot of time. First one comes from a gentleman by the name of John, and he's from Erie, Pennsylvania. He says, hi, Mike. Greetings from Erie, Pennsylvania. Love the podcast. Keep doing what you're doing. Here's an idea for your Republican hashtag. 
and he says GOP, Guild of Putin. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Thanks, John from Erie. Not bad. You know, it's clever. The the only problem with this, I'm thinking, is the word guild. Now, you and I know what guild means. Most of us know what the word guild means. But I'm guessing, <laughs> I'm guessing there aren't too many Trumplifucks that know what that word means. They're not good with words. Donald Trump said he had a lot of good words, but I think Donald Trump might have a hard time with that word. And that's, that's the important thing. We need everybody to understand what it is we're saying. I hate to, you know, that's the one trouble I have with Trumplicants. When I'm going to insult them, I have to bring it down a notch or two so they get it. There have been times when I've said to some something to somebody, a Trumplican, and uh, they just look at me like, what the fuck's that mean? <laughs> now, to me, it's funny as shit, but they don't get it because they're not too bright. Let me think on that one a little bit. Guild might be a little over their head, John. Denise, she's written in uh, several times, and she has a uh, hashtag suggestion, too. And it's hashtag Patriots for Putin. Not bad. Patriots, I like that. For Putin, ties in the Russians. That kind of checks all the boxes. So, Denise, thank you. I like that one. And the next one comes from Kevin from Connecticut. So, listening to the show on Tuesday, it reminded me of something my wife and I spoke about not too long ago. Am I the only one that feels like 2022 is going to decide the rest of our future of the country? I feel like if Republicans win the House and the Senate, they are going to destroy this country with the likes of Marjorie Taylor Greene, Madison Cawthorn, Lauren Boebert, Mo Green, etc., I really have the feeling that deep down inside that we have to win as Democrats and progressives, because if we don't, it may be the end of democracy as we know it. Just my thoughts. What do you think, Mike? Kevin from Connecticut. Well, I think you're right. I think you're right, but I think too many people are too fearful of it. Everybody's putting it out there on the line. The 2022, if we lose, meaning we, meaning Democrats, lose control of the House and the Senate, that there goes democracy. And I'm, I'm, I'm not exactly sure that that would be the case, but I understand where you're coming from. And we have a large contingent of the Republicans that aren't working in our best interest in terms of America. They would like to overturn democracies so they can maintain their power. You have to understand, Republicans are scared shitless right now. They're typically a party of old white men. And the old white men are dying off. And the people of color and uh, LGBTQ and all the other marginal groups that are fighting to get their place, they're starting to take over the democra demographics in this country. Here's something else to consider. In 2022, in November 2022, there will be more millennials in a position to vote than there are boomers. You see what's happening there? The young people are starting to take the lead, and that's going to change the direction of this country. We can only hope the millennials are as active when it comes to voting because they can essentially change everything. And I've said this before, and I hope millennials take note. The future is not mine. The future is not any of ours, those of you that are in my age range. The future is theirs. We won't be here in the future 30, 40 years from now. So they really have to set the tone. They have to take control. I think at this point, Joe Biden should be the last old white man running for president. We need some younger people. We need some younger ideas. We need people that understand society as it is now, the world as it is now. And since it's your future, you should be taking over. Now, you're worried about 2022, and a lot of people are worried about 2022. Let me tell you something. When we were coming up to the 2020 election, there were a lot of people worried about that election, too. 
I can't tell you how many people said to me, oh, Donald Trump's going to win. I just know Donald Trump's going to win. And I said, no, he's not. He can't win. There is just no way he can win. And guess what? He didn't win. In fact, he lost decisively. But this is what people do. They assume the worst, and then they start feeling for them, feeling sorry for themselves and feeling sorry for the government and the world, and it's, oh, it's going to be horrible. Let me tell you something. What you think, your intention, makes a huge difference in this world. When Donald Trump was running for president, he lost, and he lost for one big reason. Not because Joe Biden was a great candidate. That wasn't the case. They lost, meaning the Republicans, because everybody was scared shitless of Donald Trump and him getting back in for another four years. So a lot of people that just sat back and watched the elections, they were frightened, not only about now, but for the future. They got up, they got off the couch, and they went and voted. That's why Joe Biden got 81 million votes. And, of course, the Republicans were scared because they knew we were scared, and that's why Donald Trump got 74 million votes. So I will say this one good thing about Donald Trump. We've spent decades and decades of apathy in this country, people not taking the time to vote. But one man got more people to vote than any time in history, and it wasn't Joe Biden. It was Donald Trump. But it wasn't for good reasons. It was because he scared them to death. So take note of that. Everybody thought, oh, Donald Trump's going to win. It's horrible. It's horrible. But he doesn't because people are scared and they go out there and they vote for Joe Biden. Fuck, they vote for a fire hydrant over Donald Trump at that point. So that's a clue as to what we need to do between now and November. We've got to ignite that fear again or that concern. And the way we do that is by exposing all the negative things about Donald Trump, the Republicans, and the whole party as to what they're fighting for. And that's happening. We've got the uh, January 6th committee. They're doing their investigation. Things are coming out all the time. But starting next month, they are going to have the televised hearings. Now, these televised hearings could go six, eight months Twice a month, once a month, you get another hearing. And that's timing out nicely, if you think about it. If for the next six months, we start seeing these televised hearings with all kinds of appalling shit coming out about Donald Trump, uh, Republican members of Congress, the administration, the Republican Party in general, that's going to time out very nicely. And here's the thing. Don't think the Democrats don't know this. They're going to start an uh, informational campaign. Well, they already have, but they're going to heat it up between now and November 22nd. By the time the election comes around, there's going to be a lot of things exposed. And what's that going to do? That's going to scare people like it did in 2020. Not just of Donald Trump, but of the Republicans in general, because those people will be exposed. The members of Congress everybody that was involved in the insurrection. All this is going to come out, come to light, be in the press, be on television. And what the Democrats are trying to do is whip up enough fear, like they did in 2020, to get the same effect in 2022. Here's the other thing to consider. We've got Donald Trump supporting a lot of candidates for Senate, for the House, for whatever, governors. And what's going to happen is we're going to get a lot of Donald Trump people be the Republican candidates. Now, some of you might think that's scary. Hold on a second. It's not scary. It's actually the best thing that could happen to us. The crazier, the fucking nuttier the Republican candidates would be in any of those races, that's to our benefit. Because while they're like that, All this other information is going to come out. Of course, the Democrats aren't going to vote for him, but these independents or these people in the middle that want to go Republican are going to be appalled by the shit they see. And then when they see Trump Jr. running for whatever election, 
they're not going to vote for that. Now, they might not vote for Democrats, but they might not vote at all, which is just as good. As long as the Democrats come out in force and the Republicans don't know what to do, so they just hold back, that means that the Republicans will lose. I've said this from the beginning, and I'll stand by it. And if I'm wrong, I will admit it in November. I personally believe with all that's going to be coming out that the Republicans don't have any fucking chance at all. Democrats will maintain um, majority in the House and the Senate, and it may be bigger than ever. Hopefully it's big enough in the Senate where Joe Manchin is no longer important, no longer relevant, because he has been a thorn in our side since Joe Biden's taken office. So the question is, is... If the Republicans get voted in in uh, November, is that the end of our democracy? Yeah, it could be. It very well could be. But you don't go into anything assuming the worst. You assume the best. You look at the facts, see what's happened in history, and then you base your opinion not on what you're scared of, uh, but on what you want and what you feel strong about. I felt strong that Donald Trump wasn't going to win in 2020, and he didn't. We should feel strong that Republicans are not going to prevail in 2022 in November. I don't think they will. There's going to be too much coming out about them, and it's just not going to work for them. It's just not going to work. So don't worry about it. You're right. It could change everything and destroy a lot of things, but honestly... I don't think it's going to happen. Next one comes from Bruce. Hey, Mike, just wanted to know if you honestly believe that Putin would be stupid enough to use nuclear weapons against the West. He's got to know that Russia would cease to exist if they deployed nuclear weapons. When Trump was leaving office, there were questions about him using nuclear weapons against China. General Milley alerted his Chinese counterpart that we had no intentions of attacking China and he would maintain open channels of communication. You'd think that Russia would be structured in a similar matter with people smart enough to know that this would be a lose-lose situation. And if they, Russia, are willing to use nuclear weapon, then what's to stop them from invading fucking countries? Any country they want. Bruce, well, you're right. Vladimir Putin has used that threat. I'm going to use nuclear weapons if you don't do what I want you to do. Now, you have to understand, that's just a bullying tactic. That's what he's done since he's gone into Ukraine. He keeps throwing out threats, and he's hoping against hope that people will just fold up and give up and die, because that's the way he's always done things. He's created the perception of Russia as this hugely powerful military country. And now we're finding out they're not. You have to wonder how well they've maintained these nuclear weapons. But you don't want to take that kind of risk. And and yes, I believe Vladimir Putin understands that situation. Understands that um, if we start a nuclear war, then it's all over. It's all done. Nobody survives that, including Russia. Now, of course, uh, Vladimir Putin did say something that's a little ominous. He said, well, if there is no Russia, then we don't need a world, meaning if you're going to take me out, we'll take everything with us. And that may be an attitude he has. Let's say Vladimir Putin is crazy enough to want to use nuclear weapons. He doesn't care if the world is blown up. He doesn't care if everybody dies. And yes, he does have the final answer, the ultimate power in Russia. But I got to think, there's a lot of people who aren't fond of him right now in the military, in the government, in the oligarchs, in the citizens of Russia. They're not happy. They're upset. They're probably already thinking of ways to get rid of him. 
even if he's crazy enough to want to hit the button, I have a feeling somebody else is going to stop it somehow, some way, take him out some way. Because as much as he might not care if the world is blown up, I'm guessing there's a lot of people around him that do care. He is all-powerful in Russia, but he's not invincible. And I'm guessing people are already looking at ways to get rid of him, because over and above the uh, nuclear weapons, he's destroying the country. People's lives are shit. People are losing billions of dollars. These people are already upset. They're thinking of ways to get him out of there. There's no other way to get this done than if Vladimir Putin gets booted the fuck out of there. Will he press the button, the nuclear buttons? I don't really think he will. I don't think he has that courage. And I'll tell you why. <clears throat> He's a narcissist. Now, one thing about narcissists, no matter how crazy, how depressed they get, they would never kill themselves because they see themselves as the most important, smartest person in the room, and they love themselves too much to ever commit suicide. That would be like admitting they were wrong and admitting that they are weak. They won't do that. And if he's to press the button uh, for the nuclear weapons, that would essentially be suicide. Because you know if he sends a nuclear weapon, there's going to be one pointed right at him, at the Kremlin or wherever the fuck he is, and he's going to be gone. His family is going to be gone. Maybe no one else survives either, but Vladimir Putin going to be taken out. There's a lot of people, if they think he's crazy, there's a lot of people around him now that are concerned about that very thing. Will he go to the nuclear weapon? Because he can't win that war. America is going to respond, not to mention some of the European countries as well. That's his big problem. America is not his only problem. He's got the entirety of, of Europe to have to worry about, too. So he'd have to be shooting off nuclear weapons all over the world all at one time because somebody else is going to come from behind and nail him. He can't win the situation. I don't think he's going to push the button, but even if he has the propensity to do that, somebody's going to stop him. Too many people are afraid and, and value their lives and their families in this world. No one's going to let them let that happen. I don't really believe that's going to happen. But that's always his uh, ace card, his whole card, that he always puts that up there. But you have to understand he's a bully, so he's always making threats. Many threats he will follow through on, those that he can. But what he's finding out now is that by following through those threats, he's not so smart. He's not so powerful. Now he's in a bad, bad situation, and he doesn't know how to get out. I will say this, narcissists, sociopaths, and the like, when they get in situations where they're cornered, they will tend to flail, and they could get violent. We saw Donald Trump do that with the insurrection. We're seeing it now with Vladimir Putin invading Ukraine. But when they can go no farther, they are cowards. They are absolute cowards. And the next step after flailing, when that doesn't work, they throw everything against the wall. They pull shit out of their ass and hope to God they can come up with something. They, they don't even think about it. They just do anything that comes to mind. And when that doesn't work, the last step is they bolt. They're gone. They disappear. Because, again, they're cowards. I don't think the nuclear weapons is a real concern out of Vladimir Putin or out of Russia. Because as I say, even if he has the propensity to do it, somebody around him is going to freak out and do something to stop him. Even though he has all the power, at that point, all the bets are off. And people are going to say, no, 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 fucker, you're not doing this. So I'm not worried about the nuclear war thing. And I know when it comes to Vladimir Putin and Joe Biden, we're talking about a game of chicken. Who's going to blink first? And I got to be honest, Joe Biden's handling this thing very well, in spite of what anybody else might say. He's not giving in to Vladimir Putin at all. He's not acting like he's scared. He's doing whatever he's doing. I understand why he doesn't want to engage and start World War III. 
Because even if they don't have nuclear weapons, it's going to be World War III. Russia will be wiped out. And maybe when Russia is on the verge of wiping out, uh, being wiped out, maybe they will try to use the nuclear weapons. But I, I find that hard to believe. Common sense says you don't fucking do that. It's not going to work. You're just going to kill yourself. I wouldn't worry about it too much. And like I was saying about the previous question, you got to go into things expecting the best, not expecting the worst. It's a matter of intention. You get what you think. You get what you ask for. So don't ask for the negative shit. Don't assume the worst. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll be back. All right, in this segment, we're going to follow up on the uh, mental state of Vladimir Putin. We're seeing signs that Vladimir Putin is starting to lose it. He's obviously frustrated. He's obviously angry because everything he planned isn't working out. He wasn't able to walk into Ukraine, take over in three days, and be the hero. Now he's got people fighting in Ukraine for three weeks now. He's lost all kinds of uh, military equipment. He's lost all kinds of literally thousands of military personnel. He's pretty much stalled. They haven't taken over one major city. They're trying to encircle Key, but they haven't got in there as yet. The president, Zelensky, he's still alive, still in Kiev. So what's going on with uh, Russia is not very impressive. It's obviously very frustrating for him, and he's starting to lose it. He's taking huge losses in every turn. The sanctions, over and above the losses in the war, the sanctions are crippling his country. He's made some huge miscalculations, and frankly, he's losing the war. Even if he wins the war, he lost the war because it was way harder than he expected, way harder than he said it would be. Now, when a narcissist sociopath reaches this point in the process, as I've said earlier, they start to flail. They start to panic. They start doing anything. And that's what I've always said to people, my my, my kids and people in my family. I always tell people that things work out for the best. And people will say to me, well, that's not the case because it ended up working out the worst for me in this case. And I say there's there's at least one caveat here. Everything works out for the best if you allow it to. And what I mean by that is when we, we when whenever somebody gets in a situation where it's stressful or they have a problem or trouble, many people will just flail, like what we're talking about with Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin. So they'll just try anything, quick, fast, and in a hurry. They'll just try anything. They're upset. They're stressed out. They're nervous. They'll try anything. And when you do that, what you do is you fuck out that good outcome. It would have been fine if you stayed calm and just did what you're supposed to do, but by flailing around like that, you fuck it up. It's not the process that fucks up. You fucked it up because you rushed. You were in a hurry and you did things you weren't thinking about and you made stupid moves. So let's talk about stupid shit and an example of Vladimir Putin flailing. So yesterday, Putin announced (laughs) sanctions of his own. Now, he's handing out sanctions. We know he's been sanctioned to fucking hell by America, by the EU, and everybody around the world. But he's now handing out sanctions. And who he's sanctioning are President Biden, Vice President Kamala Harris, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, Defense Secretary Austin, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff General Milley, Jen Psaki, (laughs) and the big ones, Hunter Biden and Hillary Clinton. (laughs) Now this is hilarious. This tells me he's got nothing else he can pull out of his magic hat. He's doing what Donald Trump does. If somebody calls Donald Trump a poopy butt, then Donald Trump will say, no, you're a poopy butt. 
That's essentially what Vladimir Putin is doing here. He doesn't know what else to do, so he's handing down sanctions. Now, in her press conference today, somebody asked Jen Psaki, she said, uh, um, you got these sanctions now against Joe Biden, against yourself, against Hillary Clinton. What do you think about that? Are you nervous? How are you going to respond to that? Well, we know Jen Psaki has a innate talent about responding to things like this. And she said, look, none of us have bank accounts in Russia. None of us. And none of us have plans to visit Russia. So we're not fucking worried about it. See, that's the thing. They can't sanction things in this country. It has to be things from their country. That would have to mean some of these people have money in Russia or have plans to go to Russia. None of that is true. So these sanctions don't mean anything. He's just trying to throw something out to be the bully, make a threat. But everybody's laughing at this threat because it's no threat at fucking all. None. Even Hillary Clinton didn't take it too seriously. (laughs) Now, when Hillary heard she was on the sanction list, she tweeted out this. She said, I just want to say to uh, to Russia and Vladimir Putin, Thank you for the Lifetime Achievement Award. (laughs) Now, what's going on here is, sounds like desperation, honestly. This is really a joke of a threat. It's no threat at all. What he's trying to do is make it look good for his citizens. Well, they sanctioned the shit out of us. Now, the citizens of, of, of Russia are now starting to feel it, starting to see it. So he has to make some kind of response like he's a tough guy. So he makes these sanctions against the president and Jen Psaki and Hillary Clinton and Hunter Biden just to make it look good because Vladimir Putin's not stupid enough to think that this is going to do anything. It doesn't do anything. This is just desperation and trying to give the perception to his people that he's strong and he's doing just the same thing America did. The only difference is what America's done has pretty much crippled his country. What Vladimir Putin has done is jack shit. He hasn't accomplished a fucking thing by doing what he did. It's a joke. It's desperation. And I think it's hilarious. Now, I want to tell a story, too. This has got kind of a a happy ending to it, at least for now. We talked about the young Russian woman that uh, came out on camera behind a Russian newscaster. And she held a sign protesting the war in Ukraine. Clearly a very brave woman, because in Russia, if you're protesting the war on the streets, not on national television, but just on the streets, they can take you, prosecute you, and put you in jail for 15 years. So when we saw this woman go out on a newscast, stand behind the newscaster with this sign, and also... She recorded something earlier uh, talking about how everything you heard from this channel was a lie, that there was a war, that, you know, she told the whole story. When she did that on that television network, all of us said, man, that's got to be the bravest woman in the world. You do something like that in Russia, they're going to grab you quick, fast, in a hurry, and they're going to turn out your lights. Because it's so often when you see things like this, these people just magically disappear. And we thought the fate of this woman would not be very good. We didn't think that we'd end up seeing her and she would be somehow sent away or done away with. But here's the interesting thing. The police take her in. Now, the lawyer, her lawyer, was very upset because he didn't have a chance to talk to her for something like 14 hours. Nobody saw her for 14, 15 hours. And they thought the same thing we thought. Oh, God, they're going to do something with her. We'll never see her again. (laughs) But then after about 15 hours, we see her come out of a courthouse, perfectly free, not handcuffed, not going to jail. She got a fine. $300. 
That's all she got was a fine of $300. Now, what she did, according to Russian law, was egregious. I mean, she not only protested, something you would get 15 years for if you're on the street, but she did it on national television. You would think she'd get at least that 15-year sentence. Nope. $300 fine, sent her on the road, charged her with something less than what she did, and let her go. Now, the reason they did that is because when she did what she did, it was very high profile. That video went across the globe almost instantaneously. Everybody in this world knew who she was, what she did, and were all waiting with bated breath to see if she was going to be taken out of the equation. Well, of course, Russia knew this. Vladimir Putin knew this. And uh, they were afraid if they did something to her, something they would normally do in a circumstance like this, she would become a martyr. And they would take a lot of heat for it. It would be bad publicity. And frankly, they got their share of bad publicity right now. So they didn't want to do that. They figured if they put her through the system quickly, get her out the door, The faster they did that, the faster people would forget about it. They could push it under the rug, and that would be over with. And that was the better move than punishing her like they normally would punish somebody for doing such a thing. So we're glad to see it. But when I put this on TikTok, of course, everybody said, assuming the worst. Uh, And, you know, I think it's valid. I'd like to assume the best as opposed to the worst. But people are saying, well, for now, but six months from now, two months from now, two weeks from now, they're going to do something to her. And that's conceivable. I mean, fucking Russia and Vladimir Putin are the worst humans in the fucking world. So something could happen to her. And I would hope that she got on a train or a plane as quickly as she could out of that country and go fucking someplace else. Because that is still a risk. There was a report of another newscaster in Russia that did her last report yesterday. And she got the fuck out of Dodge. She didn't know what was going to happen. She was tired of spewing the lies. And she got the hell out of the country. And I can only hope this woman, I'd say her name is is Maria. I don't know how to pronounce the last name. It doesn't matter. But I would hope she has plans to get out of the country like yesterday. So that was an interesting story. And that was a positive story. I really thought the worst for this poor woman. I thought this woman is the bravest woman in the world. She's going to lose her life. But she did something that was good for the people of Russia. And, you know, she disappears and then we forget about it because of all the other bullshit that's going on in Russia. So, I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) We'll see what happens with that whole fucking thing. It's got to be interesting. Here's another story I wanted to bring up. We talked about it a little bit. We've talked about this a number of times because it seems troubling. Jenny Thomas, she is the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Now, she announced yesterday, I believe, that she, in fact, did attend the January 6th rally, uh, but she left early because it was cold. It was too cold. She got the fuck out of Dodge. Now, we've heard all about the stories of how she was involved with the insurrectionist, how she was involved in organizing the event on January 6th. Some say she was even involved with fundraising to pay for transportation to get people to travel to Washington. Some people say that's a lie. Some people say that's true. Most of the people that say that's a lie are the Trump fucks, so I don't believe a fucking word they say. This woman is clearly crazy. She's a radical right fucking nutcase. We heard stories about her going into the White House and carrying on meetings. She had no business in the White House. She's nobody. She holds no position that justifies her going into the White House and carrying on these meetings like she's in control of everything. She's ranting and raving and spewing conspiracy theories. But now she announces 
she announces that she was at the January 6th event, but left early because she was cold. That's interesting. Why would she say that now? We'll talk about that in a moment. <clears throat> moment. The question is, does her actions taint Chief Justice, or not Chief Justice, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas? And then does that taint the Supreme Court? The fact is, it can taint the credibility of the court, and to a certain extent, it has. Now understand that you can have a Supreme Court justice married to a radical right activist. You can assume that they talk and maybe even share some ideology. That's actually fine. That's not illegal. It's not illegal for Clarence Thomas to have a nutcase as a wife. And it's reasonable to think that they talk over dinner or whatever. They might even share some ideas. But when it comes when it comes to the Supreme Court just hearing cases that are somehow connected to his, her wife or organizations she's involved in, then he needs to recuse himself, meaning taking himself out of the decision-making process. He can have the nutcase as a wife, but once he's involved in a hearing or a trial, he needs to recuse himself because of the potential conflict of interest with his wife and whatever organization she's dealing with. Fact of the matter is, he's not doing that. When the case regarding releasing documents from the National Archives, the White House documents from the National Archives, you remember that? Donald Trump sued and sued and kept losing all the way up to the Supreme Court, and he lost in the Supreme Court. However, there was one dissenter who didn't think those documents should be released. Surprise, surprise, that was Clarence Thomas. So, legally, they had every right to turn over those documents. Two courts before the Supreme Court said it's a no-brainer, let them have it gets to the Supreme Court, eight of the nine justices say, yeah, you got to release him, but not Clarence Thomas. You have to think that uh, he's somehow been influenced by Ginny Thomas and uh, her activities with the insurrection. But the question is, why is Ginny Thomas owning up to attending the January 6th rally right now? Why didn't she do it six months ago, eight months ago, a year ago, two weeks after the rally? Why didn't she admit to it at that point? Well, I have a theory. <laughs> and the theory is this. All those documents from the National Archive are now in the hands of the January 6th committee. And remember, they got all the uh, visitor logs from the White House where she showed up on a number of occasions. I think she's seeing that she's going to be outed in those documents from the National Archives and certainly in the uh, <clears throat> visitor logs for the White House. She's seeing that, so she's trying to take the edge off of it, take the surprise off of it. She, uh, you know, when they come and say, well, you were at the White House or you were at the insurrection according to these documents. Oh, yeah, well, I told you that. I just told you that a little while ago. It's no big deal. I was there. It was cold. I laughed. No biggie. Well, there's more to that story. She's involved more than she suggests, and uh, I think she's nervous about it. So that's why she announced it just the other day, because shit's coming down, especially in those televised hearings, coming down showing Jenny Thomas had far more connection to the insurrectionist. And then when you find out that... Clarence Thomas was the only dissenter in releasing the documents from the National Archives. Therein lies the moment in time when a Supreme Court justice has been put in a bad situation, has been tainted by this conflict of interest. And when that happens to a Supreme Court justice, it destroys the credibility of the Supreme Court. This is the one thing they've been most worried about. 
They keep whining about this. Oh, people don't think we're credible because we're too partisan. Well, motherfucker, it's because you are. And Clarence Thomas, being the only dissenter in this National Archives thing, should have been smarter than that. I mean, Jesus Christ, Clarence. If you know you're not going to have any chance of upholding this claim by Donald Trump, why would you do that, signaling that you're taking your cues from your crazy-ass wife? You just exposed yourself. If you weren't going to win anyway, just vote like everybody else does. Then they can't make that connection. But Clarence Thomas was not smart enough to even fucking do that. Not smart enough to cover his fucking tracks. So now we have a perfect example. Jenny Thomas is part of the insurrection. He votes against releasing the documents from the White House. Clearly, he's been tainted. Now, Clarence Thomas should be get his ass booted out of there. He should maybe resign or be impeached or be removed some way. Probably not going to happen. That's kind of an unprecedented thing. He's probably not going to be removed. But we do need to expose him for who he is. And the credibility of the Supreme Court will suffer. And you know what? Now the Supreme Court's going to have to work their ass off to get that credibility back. You don't just get credibility because of who you are. You have to fucking earn that. And now that you've lost it, you've got some work to do, Supreme Court. All you motherfuckers have to do something. All right. We've got one more story before we wrap things up, and this is interesting. We talked about this in a previous uh, podcast. It might have been in the last podcast. I got a question from a listener, and it was regarding daylight saving time. Why do we have it? Why do we need it anymore? And guess what? Yesterday, the Senate voted to make daylight saving time, the time we're in now, permanent. There would be no switchback or falling back in the fall or springing ahead in the spring. We would just be where we're at and it wouldn't change. Now, we know the reason daylight savings time was introduced way back when. It was to assist farming and the people that are farmers. It allowed them to utilize their kids in their farming. It was important for them to make money, make their their living, and kids needed the extra time to actually work. That's why it was put in. Well, that isn't really a thing anymore. This is a concept that's kind of outlived its usefulness. And people always complain about it when we fall back in the fall and when we jump forward in the spring or spring forward in the spring, it always causes some confusion. And this happens twice a year, and it's unnecessary confusion. So now the Senate has voted to make it daylight saving time all the time. But if it's daylight saving time all the time, it's not daylight saving time anymore. It's just fucking time. And that's not a bad idea. Now, what's unusual about this is the Senate started this whole effort out. Usually it would start in the House, but this is starting in the Senate, and it was a bipartisan vote, and it passed. Now, the next step is the House has to vote on it. And I have a feeling the House will vote to do away with daylight savings time and just make it our time. And after that, it goes to President Biden and he signs off on it. So I'm thinking at this point, we have a Congress and we have a Senate that can't come together on anything. But apparently they can come together on the idea that uh, daylight savings time has worn out its welcome, and we don't need it anymore. So I think this will pass, and I think it's a good thing. It's not going to change anything dramatically. It's just going to change what we do twice a year. We won't be doing that anymore. The time we have now will be the time that we always have. It's just going to be the way it is, and that makes sense. I wish they could come together on more important issues, issues that um, mean keeping children out of poverty or helping the middle class or getting us better health care or whatever. 
But at least this is one thing they came together on. So I guess that's a positive. I guess we'll take that. But I just found it interesting that I got the email. We were talking about daylight saving time. And that next day, we got the Senate voting on it and said, yeah. See, that's how powerful the Rational Boomer podcast is. (laughs) All we have to fucking do is mention it. And they're on it right away. The Senate says, did you hear the Rational Boomer podcast? Fuck yeah, we better get on that. Let's vote on that today. Of course, you know, I'm being facetious here. I know that didn't happen, but it could have. It could have. And if it sounds like I did, I'd be happy to take credit for it. And you should take credit for it because the Rational Boomer podcast is nothing without its listeners. And so I appreciate the effort. I appreciate the email making us all look like geniuses talking about daylight saving time. And then, boom, next day, we got a vote in the Senate. And they agree with us. (laughs) See what I told you? We get enough boomers together that are of a right mind, and we can wield some power. I don't honestly believe that we wielded any power in this situation. But if other people think that, other people that aren't us, fuck, I'll take it. I'll take it all day. Anyway, we're going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you for spending the time you do with me. I say this every time, but think about it. Some guy sitting in front of a microphone talking for a little less than an hour. And there are people all over the country, all over the world, actually. We've got people in other parts of the country, other parts of the world. Sit down, take an hour out of their time to listen to this podcast. That's a big ask. And I appreciate immensely all you people that do it. That is amazing to me. It's almost a dream come true. My idea was to have a radio show, but not be on the radio. And I'm doing that right now. And it's all because of you folks that take the time and interest to listen. So thank you very much. You have a great day. And we will be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.